0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittum, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Today's show with Dylan Bowman, Good Grief. I am so excited to share this one with you, Dylan. Is an absolute superstar. Not only is he one of the best trail ultra runners in the world, but he is also somewhat of a media mogul as well, doing the live broadcast with Corinne Malcolm over at uh, YouTube for the UTMB, as well as for the Western States Endurance Run. He has an extremely good podcast as well. uh, Pillars is P Y L L A R S. Also, he has his own app, which is all about training and coaching and community. And it's just, this guy is doing it all. I was so excited to talk to him. And while he is doing so many things, there's there's an endless array of topics we could have discussed. I really wanted to dive in specifically on what it was like and what it is like for a college athlete, especially one that's in basically a non-running sport. So not, not a cross-country runner or a track runner. Uh, someone who is playing for like in. Dylan's case, lacrosse, trying to get into, or why they should get into, running, and more specifically, and something that ties into what he has done, trail and ultra running. It really is a fascinating conversation, and something that Dylan has done very, very well, and he is just a huge evangelist for his sport, and it's infectious to see, and I was excited to talk with him about it. Now, before we get into it, I do want to say thank you to the Richmond Marathon. They got the for the full, they got the half, they got the 8K. And it's all happening November thirteenth. Unfortunately, we've seen a couple marathons have canceled recently, which is a huge bummer. And you know, my heart goes out to the, all all the people that organize those races and are excited for those races. But if you're looking for a race in the fall, specifically in the middle to November range, check out Richmond. They got the full, the half, and the AK. I'm going to be running the half. The full is one of the best one of those marathons in the country. We hear that every single year, and it's so true. It's flat. It's scenic. It's just gorgeous, and it's it's just a really well-done race, and I can not be thankful enough for Richmond for sponsoring this podcast. Go over to their website, richmondmarathon.org today. Go check out a race that fits well for you. Again, they are just doing it right. They're actually doing it at the expo. Outside at the near at the, uh, the nearby racetrack, uh, just to accommodate everybody from a uh, COVID protocol perspective, um, these guys have just been on it when it comes to the COVID protocols. So Last sure year, you may remember they actually kept their race going. They had they held it over a week, and they had like the towpath down there where people were running on, and they they staffed it up, and they basically said, "Hey, you can come in anytime you want over this course of this week, and you're going to count as a finisher." Uh, They were the first race that I saw that even did that. So they've been on point with all this stuff over the past 18 months. And I'm so excited for them to have their typical race set up this year uh, with, again, with some protocols. But overall, getting back to what they love and enjoy and what we love and enjoy as well. So, again, go over to richmondmarathon.org today and go check it out. Now, let's get into my episode with Dylan Bowman. Before we do, one last thing. Unfortunately, we had a little technological snafu when it came to uploading the episode, so we had to use the backup audio. It's going to be fine. The backup audio is always pretty solid. It basically sounds exactly like when you hear someone record a podcast over Zoom. So you might have heard this kind of audio quality on plenty of other podcasts. We didn't have the locally recorded episode that we normally have. But I just want to let you know, if you are used to a certain level of quality with the interview uh, audio, you're not going to get that quite this time, but it's going to be similar to what you've heard on a lot of other shows. And ultimately, I'm still very proud of this podcast because Dylan is just the man. So let's get into it with Dylan Bowman. Dylan Bowman, the legend. Welcome to the show.
1: Matt Chittum. It's an honor. Thank you so much for having me.
0: This is really exciting. Um... I have so many things that I want to talk to you about. With that said, I had that planned out before today. Today, big news coming out of the ultra and trail world. Share with us, Dylan, this is huge stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so today it was announced that I will be joining the board of the Western States 100. It is a a true honor uh, and a big responsibility that I'm gladly accepting. And uh, yeah, something that I'm really thrilled about. Um, I got a call yesterday afternoon from Diana Fitzpatrick, who is a friend of mine and somebody I've known for a while. And the reason I thought she was calling me was because a mutual friend of ours, a person named Markel Taylor, who we helped to coach when he was incarcerated at San Quentin State Prison in California, finally broke the three-hour marathon yesterday. And so it's a huge achievement wow. for him, and something that we were very proud about. So I figured that when she wanted to talk, that's what she wanted to talk about. But, of course, we spent a minute on that before she said that there was a spot that had become available on the board and that they went through a process and they wanted to invite me. And, of course, I was completely honored and thrilled to, to do it.
0: That is exciting. All right. So. Anyone who listens to this show, even if they're tangentially related to ultra and trail running, they know about the Western States endurance run. However, they may not know, like, being on the board, what does that mean? That sounds like something that, like, someone's in a nonprofit or at a college or university. What does being on the board at a race like this even mean?
1: So, honestly, I don't know, 100%. um, But you're right. I mean, Western States does operate as a nonprofit. And for that reason, I'm sure it's different than a lot of other boards that people would be on um, in the business world. Um, And of course, I don't have any real experience being on boards or in leadership roles uh, for these types of organizations. But uh, what I do have is a lot of knowledge about the sport, a lot of passion for the sport, a lot of relationships, and a lot of experience racing. Uh, kind of other world-class races on an international level. And I think Western States has always done a great job of being true to the core values of the sport and um, you know, honoring the legacy and the history and the things that make it so great while also being leaders as the sport moves into the future. And so in that vein or operating with that philosophy, I think the board is really trying to bring in new people who have different perspectives who know the current landscape in international trail and ultra running and i was lucky that they identified me as a potentially good recruit and so my hope is that i'll be able to contribute in a lot of different ways you know with the media side of things with maybe athletes integration communication uh, and generally help the race understand the professional dynamics or the dynamics uh with the professional racers on the international circuit how we can make the race um or k- keep the race uh a huge attractive prize for the best athletes in the world to come test themselves so there's i i'm sure there's a lot of work to be done but this is only day one for me so i don't know what my responsibilities are going to be but whatever they are i'm really excited to tackle them Yeah, this is this is
0: really exciting. And obviously, when you can be an influential member of something that's so big and so legendary at the core of especially American ultra running, um, that is huge. And I know that it certainly has a has a big place on the international stage. And uh, you have not only been a top competitor at a race like that and many races internationally. But you've also, as you mentioned, been a media member who's covered it, not only on your podcast, Pillars, which is absolutely fantastic and one of uh, the most often downloaded podcasts in the country. But in addition to that, you're doing live stuff, right? You're like the Tony Romo of, of trail and ultra running, which is really exciting for all of our football fans out there who may not be super High in number people listen to this show. You are you kind of bring that element to it, which is also exciting when you have that that added component, not only I mean the podcast is great and you do a great job, but doing the live broadcast obviously is a completely different element. How has that changed how you've not only viewed race day, but in terms of how to approach race day as a media member? Because I can imagine that being just full of entanglements, not only in terms of like the people you know, but just from a broadcasting perspective, it's hard enough to to to, to like film like track and field like that, that. For some reason, that's really hard to do. Never mind, you know, 106 miles around you know a European mountain.
1: Yeah, well, Matt. I mean, contrary to how it may seem, it is the funnest and easiest thing I've ever done in my life, honestly. And Corinne and I joke about this. Corinne Malcolm, of course, who I'm referencing, has been my sort of co-host on a couple of different things recently, including Western States and UTMB. And we're actually gonna be doing the broadcast for the Broken Arrow Sky Race in a couple of weeks as well. And honestly, when people ask me about Western States, they're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you did 20 hours straight in the broadcast booth, I have to say man, it was total flow state the whole time. My mouth and brain were in perfect synchronicity. And like, you know, for me, Matt, I'm such a fan of the sport and I have just generally a lot of knowledge accumulated over years of being a fan. And I think fortuitously, I've been watching sports since I was in my diapers and have always just kind of loved the broadcast side of things always loved the pregame and postgame parts of competition. I've always loved the prognostication and I've always, yeah, been a sponge of information from the experts. And so I think for me it's come naturally and certainly something I derive a lot of joy from, and it doesn't feel like an ultra, honestly, it's like there's no, I feel no pressure. I feel only excitement, only uh, joy to have the privilege of sharing the, the story of the sport. Yeah, and I think
0: it really is like hand in glove. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of work that goes into it in terms of you have to know the people, you have to know the competitors, you have to know what's been going on in the weeks leading up to the race. So if someone's like battling an injury, you're aware of that. And, and the relationships that you have certainly allow you and Corinne to do uh-huh. things like that. And even on the track and field side, you see people like Kara Goucher who've had immediate success in a very similar vein. As, as you and Corinne, obviously, you know, her her career is over from a running perspective, whereas yours isn't. But I think the parallels are there. Carrie Tollefson's had a similar um, similar run as well, where, like, the relationships she's built over time allow her to have insight, not just in terms of the race because of her expertise, but just the relationships, which can really bring color to races like this. Whereas, like, as you mentioned, like, other sports, like, it's one thing some of the X's and O's of a football game. Like, the X's and O's don't play a huge factor in some of this stuff. Whereas the relationships and like, how do they approach this? How does this relate to other races can really bring so much color to uh, some of the commentary?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, Kara Goucher, I thought did a phenomenal job at the Olympics. And I always as a lifelong sort of football and basketball fan and even other more obscure sports, even like tennis, you know, with, with Patrick McEnroe, John McEnroe are great uh, commentators, uh, Chris Everett, And then obviously in football, it's like all the charismatic, great athletes will then sort of transition into broadcast roles. You mentioned Tony Romo a second ago. And so I think if you have a love for the sport and a lot of knowledge for the sport, um, you can do uh, interesting things and you can tell the story in a way that I think is really compelling to the general public. And so again, for me, it's, uh, it's come pretty naturally. I've been honored to have the opportunity to sort of carve this little lane for myself in the sport and I hope to do a lot more of it in the future as my career progresses. Now we just
0: now we just need to get Drew Holman to do uh, ultimate world championships just a little crossover. (laughs) Yes
1: (laughs) yes definitely.
0: (laughs) All right so not only are you a huge fan of this sport that you love and succeeded so well in you are also an evangelist and we'll get to that as well with everything you're doing with Pillars it's so much more than just a podcast Lord knows. With that said you weren't always a runner. Again, you've, running is in your background because of other sports, but you were a college lacrosse player. You played at Colorado State. I love talking to people who have who've come to running through other, either through other sports or after competing in other sports, and I feel like this is something that is um, almost universal with most amateur runners. Right. Most of them didn't run their whole lives. They come to running later. I'm certainly someone who fell into that. You don't see too often with people who are at your level. So give us the quick five minute before you got to college, um, you know, athletic spiel of like what you were as an athlete kind of leading into, say, your college recruitment.
1: Yeah. So I grew up a rabid team sport athlete. I played basically every sport under the sun as I was growing up. Uh, eventually sort of found my specialization, found my, my talent and my passion with the game of lacrosse, which is such a great game. And for the listeners who aren't big lacrosse fans, I would encourage you to get into the sport, start following the sport. It's fantastic. Actually, the uh, championship game for the professional league, the premier lacrosse league was last night. And the quality of this sport, the entertainment value and the talent of the athletes, honestly, is up there with any other professional sport. But to answer your question, yeah, I uh, eventually fell into lacrosse. This was as that sport was moving westward. So I grew up in, in Colorado. And of course, anybody who knows lacrosse knows that it has traditionally been an east coast a new england a mid-atlantic type sport usually associated mostly with prep schools and things like that and as it was moving west i happened to have a friend who was getting into it and so he naturally sort of got me into it and uh i ended up having a great high school lacrosse career got uh recruited to a bunch of different universities ended up uh staying in state going to school at colorado state and and that's uh Yeah, sort of like where my my lacrosse journey, I guess, both flourished and came to an end. And uh, in in my day, you couldn't, there wasn't really an opportunity to pursue lacrosse really professionally. And to be honest, I probably wasn't good enough anyway. Um, So, you know, that's the point of my career when I sort of fell into running. But yeah, that's kind of my history with lacrosse.
0: So let's talk about your you know, your strengths as a lacrosse player, right? So looking back on it, what were some of the things that you did well or kind of helped vault you to division one level?
1: Yeah, so when I was a kid, I guess so through high school, I was very much like the quarterback of the offense of our lacrosse team. So I was the guy who played, at, you know, what they call X in attack. So basically I would, I usually position myself behind the goal And from there, you know, I'd get the ball and dodge. So make a move towards the cage and then usually try and do either, uh, you know, distribution of the ball to help somebody else score a goal or get free, get my hands free and and let loose myself and hopefully score some buckets that way. So I was uh, one of the things I was really, I guess, uh, proud of is that I was. Equally dangerous, both as a passer and as a scorer. So I, I ended up having, you know, more assists than goals, but I led the team in both categories uh, in in my high school career. And then transitioning to college, um, we had a lot of really good, talented attackmen at, at our school, and so for me, I needed to find a different way to contribute. Uh, because we didn't necessarily need a a quarterback in the offense. We had a lot of good players, a lot of good ball handlers. And I'd always known that I had a propensity or a skill, a talent at just covering ground and not getting tired. Um, In high school, I I basically never came off the field. Um, And so in college, I used that, uh, I guess, talent transition to the midfield Uh, position for our team and ultimately basically played that position for, I guess, at least two and a half or three years out of my four years playing. So I did spend uh, my freshman year playing attack and then moved to the midfield. And uh, yeah, there I really developed a reputation as just the hustle guy, you know, the guy who, who fought for ground balls, who, Uh, made plays in transition if our goalie made a save it was basically like get the ball to Debo and let him run up the field and you know and then get the ball back to the offensive end so yeah that's how my uh I guess roles evolved throughout my lacrosse careers it was from being the 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 goal scorer the the distributor to being kind of the hustle guy on the team
0: man I at a very much a much lower level I had the exact same evolution (laughs) I'm like, I used to score in for basketball. It's all about the scoring. Obviously, many more baskets are scored than goals are scored. Um, you compare the two sports. But I went from being like, hey, I can score to like... We really don't want you shooting a whole lot. So maybe there's some other things you can do around here. Um, But I'm sure everyone who's listening, their ears perked perked up, and rightfully so, when you said, hey, like I was the guy who just couldn't get tired. And I think that that is a common refrain. We talk to people who have a similar kind of journey from other sports and then all of a sudden start succeeding and succeeding rather quickly when they come over to running, especially an active person who doesn't have to kind of like get back into shape to kind of, shed the rust to get back into it. So after Colorado state, after the the lacrosse falls by the wayside, how and why did running? all why How did that pick up the mantle? Not just running, and obviously, if you're if you're playing lacrosse at D one level, you're doing a lot of running, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. in practice or off season, you're doing you know you're lifting, you're running constantly. You have your like preseason, like all right, physical fitness test. All right, how's how fit is everybody? How strong are they? All this stuff kind of comes with being a college athlete. So it's not like you weren't used to running, but when did trail and ultra running? How did that come into the mix?
1: Yeah. So after college, I lived. I moved up to Aspen, Colorado. So while I was in school, because I was playing lacrosse, I didn't have a lot of time to work, like get a job or whatever. So in the summers, I went up to Aspen, uh, which was just—it's another longer story—but such a joy throughout college to spend my summers in the mountains working for hospitality businesses uh, and generally being social and enjoying mountain lifestyle, mountain culture. And so after I graduated from college, it was very similar to what a lot of people go through where it's like, okay, well, what, uh, what am I going to be when I grow up? What am I going to do with my life? And because I had had some professional connections and some relationships in Aspen, it just made sense for me to move back up there full time after I graduated from college. And it was a point in my life where I was very much lost without having that athletic outlet for the first time in my life. So just to reemphasize the fact that I've always been an athlete, It's how I've always found meaning and purpose in my life. It's always how I've like oriented my life and found joy and having graduated from, uh, from college and thus having my lacrosse and, and athletic career coming to a close. Then I was a little bit just kind of like, um, feeling, uh, I guess, dissatisfied with where I was in life. And I think it, at least tacitly, even if I, it wasn't explicitly acknowledged in my brain, I was missing that competitive outlet. I was really—I um, was just somebody who thrives in an environment where, if I, ha- I have a goal, I chase it, and I have a lot more discipline. I'm a more productive person. I'm better in my relationships, and without having that structure, I lost a lot of that stuff. I was partying a lot. I generally was just not being the type of person that I wanted to be, and. Just for the sake of staying fit in a moment of kind of self-loathing, I was just like, well, I've always enjoyed the running part of these team sports, these field sports. So maybe I'll just like take up running just to kind of like stay active and sweat out the hangovers every morning sort of thing. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, because I was living in Aspen, of course, it only made sense to take those jogs out on the trails And then eventually one thing leads to the next. You start learning about these trail races. For me, I learned about the Leadville 100. And from that moment, I knew in the depths of my soul that that was going to be my mission in life, uh, was to tackle the Leadville 100, and I wouldn't be satisfied until it was done. So I set that goal for myself. And, uh, just about a year after I started running a year and a half, maybe, uh, stepped to the start line at the Leadville 100 and had a good race. And the rest is history. And here we are what, 12 years later. And I still love it as much as I did back in those days.
0: I love that. Yeah. So many college athletes can relate to the feeling of like, there's something missing, right? Like going to the gym just isn't the same, right? We've been going to the gym for years. At that point, seven or eight years, right? All through high school, all through college. But it's different when it's not in the service of something concrete. When it's just like, I'm going to the gym to be active. Like, what in the world does that mean? Right? Like, yeah. it just, it doesn't ring true. And right. then it's so easy to not go. Right? It's like signing up for, like, a free online class that you don't tell your friends about. It's like, if I don't go to this, no one's going to know. Whatever. No one goes. So, that's like, those things have, like, a 1% retention rate. I don't know why I threw that one in there. But it's like that same feeling where, like, you it needs to be connected to this larger thing. If for no other reason, that it that's how our lives have been the whole time. So you mentioned Leadville, like it became this beacon for you. Was there an athlete that you would followed where like their story rang true? Was it just like the Leadville experience because you were in Colorado and maybe you were familiar with it? What about that race in particular, not only, you know, drew interest, but became this bright shining light that you were all that you were drawn to.
1: So a couple of things, I think the thing that originally spoke to me is what speaks to everybody is just like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this actually exists and that people do this. These people must be absolute superheroes. I wonder if I could do it. And to your question about influences, there's really two people worth mentioning here. Number one, a guy named Zeke Tiernan, who lives in Aspen, grew up in Aspen. He ran at the University of Colorado, was an all-American, very decorated uh, collegiate, runner himself, and then got into trail and ultra running kind of in his 30s. And so the way I learned about the Leadville 100 was actually a newspaper article that was written about Zeke in the local Aspen Times newspaper. So it was covering his race. So we eventually connected uh, Zeke and I, and he became a great friend and mentor. for me.
0: This is like, so like if you like Colorado culture, like the Leadville 100 being, being covered by like the local community newspaper. I think that's hysterical.
1: Yeah, exactly. So this is 2000. I think that was 2008. And then, yeah, so he and I, he eventually became like a good friend and mentor, training partner. And I was in my early 20s and he was you know, uh, kind of in his mid thirties at the time. And, and so he was really helpful just in kind of teaching me how to run in general, how to train, because I would always sort of been a team sport athlete and he had this very regimented upbringing or background in the sport. And then, uh, you know, the other person that's obvious, uh, and very worth mentioning is Anton Kropichka. And at this time, he had won the race twice, won Ludville 100 twice at this point, and this is at the, the sort of stage in the evolution of the sport where there was, because of Anton, there was a big influx of people like he and I, he's a couple of years older than me, but, you know, in our early twenties coming into the sport with like a little bit of a non-traditional approach. And for him, and I mimicked a lot of the things that he did, uh, you know, like, running with just, like, a single handheld water bottle, short shorts, minimal shoes, just sort of...
0: The cow- images from his blog are still there, are, like, branded into my brain. I remember reading oh. those suckers, and, like... um it, just, it was such interesting writing. I remember I was nowhere near doing what he was doing. I was coaching college basketball the time. I was going nowhere near any of this stuff. But it yeah. was... I can imagine that someone like you took to it because I was not in this world at all. Even I found it fascinating Being be like, who's this Jeff Rose guy? And like trying to like figure out what was
1: going on. Dude, I was obsessed, obsessed. Like I couldn't get enough of the content that was out there. This is pre-social media, but there was stuff on YouTube. And most importantly, there were blogs. And Anton, he was not only the best athlete, but he had the best blog. And the combination of those two things was magical for the Mm -hmm. sport and for people like me, because you had the best athlete in the sport who had this like aspirational vibe to him of like, wow, he really does represent something that's attractive in terms of freedom and commitment and just lifestyle. But also he is such a good writer. And so he could capture that feeling so well and for people like me who are just trying to learn and learn and learn, it just was the most inspiring thing ever. So Zeke and Anton were definitely my my initial uh, sort of inspirations in the sport. I recently had Anton on my podcast, and we had a great and what a
0: great episode that was!
1: Uh, it was great, so fun to reminisce with him. And now, after 15 years uh, from winning Leadville for the first time, he finished back on the podium again this year. And So, uh, yeah, somebody who I always have looked up to and rooted for. And it's great to see him back on the scene. But, yeah, that's that's kind of how it started for me and and the the people that I looked up to at the beginning.
0: Yeah, this is like for people who don't maybe didn't experience that or maybe you did and you forgot what it was like. It was it was almost similar to like the feeling that you get like following the past couple of years, like Tommy Riff's. Obviously the past year has been a little different and, and his wife has certainly taken up the mantle with a lot of the communication, but the, 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 the support and just like, this is my guy. I've never met him, but I love him. And I know part of it was like, with I fit with, with, uh, with, with Tommy and just his, 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 his whole aura. Right. Um, it yeah, just has that, that same feeling.
1: Totally. And yeah, now I never put the two of them together. Like I've never made that connection in my own head, but I think, It's a really astute observation because they both are great with words. Tommy, also a really good storyteller. And it is sort of like the natural evolution from the blog where Anton's was very much a long form written essay, like every week, sometimes multiple times a week, where Tommy's like a few times a week. It's actually almost like a mini blog on his Instagram, both of whom are great writers, great storytellers. They've got the look. They've got just like the vibe and they have that just feeling of love and commitment of what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, I think that that overlap is actually a, a great observation.
0: Right. They got that like warrior poet vibe. It's like I am tougher than you and I'm more empathetic than you and I'm better at words than you.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> warrior poet.
0: Um, no, th- yes, I can t- I totally get that. That is, that is really exciting. And also that was like an era in time. And I know it's much more. This is really painting with a broad brush. But this was like an era that felt like, um, Really high-level runners would come and go quicker than maybe you see nowadays, and that you see a lot of folks who would rack up amazing weeks, amazing months, but not necessarily like stacking years and years upon themselves, which is so great to have Anton back in the mix at such a high level. When you look back on that era now, with you know not only your expertise in this area, but all the the this how many people you've talked to. Your coach, Jason Cooper is obviously well-versed in all of this as well. What's it like to, to think back on that era, not only in terms of how captivating it was, because it was really exciting, but also kind of like the what could have been nature of it um, in terms of what these people could have done if they'd had maybe the longevity that you had, frankly.
1: Yeah, so this is actually something that Tony and I talked about on my podcast as well. Just sort of the fact that he and others unfortunately were sort of sacrificial lambs in service of educating the next generation about what you can and should do in the sport of trail and ultra running and one of the things that made him so compelling was the hit the fact that he was so committed that it was just like he ran more than anybody i've ever seen and the huge volume that he put in contributed to him being the best athlete in his era. But of course it had consequences for him. He was unable to stay healthy for a long period of time and eventually, you know, sort of found climbing and cycling and he's been able to slowly work his way back towards the type of fitness that would allow him to finish on the podium at Leadville. Like he did this year. Again, we had guys like Jeff Rose who, just ascended to the upper echelon in the sport in with astronomical speed, basically did everything that you could do in ultra running in the span of like two and a half or three years. And we basically haven't heard from him since. He's somebody who I'd love to have on my podcast, by the way, reached out to him a couple of times, but, uh, unsuccessful to this point. But yeah, I mean, I, Easily could have fallen into that myself. We've seen, you know, also like Timothy Olson. I, you know, I don't think I'm speaking out of line here to say that he dealt with that himself, or he just did a little too much. He had so much success; people were throwing opportunities at him right and left, and it's hard to say no. And so, because of the fact that those athletes have been through what we would call like the overtraining syndrome have paid the piper for the massive efforts that they've put into the sport. Uh, The next generation I think has been able to observe that and learn from that, Uh, myself included for sure, even though I'm sort of of their generation, I was always cautious about how much I raced and how much I trained uh, because I didn't want to put myself in a position where I wasn't going to be able to do it for two years while I let my, my internal um, energy system kind of come back from a crater. Um, and so you know we still do see for athletes of this generation coming up and doing massive massive training volume. Um, but I think for the most part, the acute period of like the overtraining uh, era and over racing era, um, has informed this next generation to the point where my hope is we do s- see more athletes kind of like me who have 10, 12, 15 year careers um, and take a, a moderate approach to their training and racing. And I wonder
0: how much of that is necessary if for no other reason. And there are certainly many reasons, but if for no other reason, then it's so competitive. The sport has grown so much. It's an international sport in terms of people flying in for races and things like that at the at the top level that if you're not on your A game it's like, it's going to show, right? I mean, like, we're talking 20 years ago maybe you could go to a race, be on your C plus game, even it be a pretty big race and still podium and have these kind of experiences where if that isn't the case, then it kind of behooves you to take a step back and be like well, do I really want to like coming 50th here when like, I probably should just take a rest day or, you know, train for the one like in six weeks or whatever.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And I think these, I don't know, just the sport, for whatever reason, it has a way of allowing athletes to have these just huge runs of crazy success. So where you like, you gain the experience and you gain the the skill and talent And for whatever reason, because the trail is a little more forgiving, you can string together a couple seasons of world-class performance. And it seems, I mean, it's tempting. Of course, I like, I would never put myself in the same category as Anton and Jeff and Tim and Jim and, and uh, you know, some of the other greats of of my era and the current era. Um, But yeah, I mean, we've seen it so many times where after two or three seasons of world domination and athletes just never the same. And so that is always something that I have like abhorred or like wanted to avoid like the plague is like, I would much rather have a pretty solid career for 15 years and just be like, you know, a, a good, a good athlete on the scene who you're going to have to contend with that you're, that can make a move here and there and, and win some races, but like, I'm not Jim Walmsley. I'm not Anton. I'm not, I'm not uh, Jeff Rose or or Tim Olson. And, and uh, you know, I think those guys had a different approach of just like, I want to squeeze every last ounce out of myself And I'd like to have a long career, but if I don't, as a result of this commitment, uh, if I'm able to reach my potential, even for a short period of time, it's worth it. And I wouldn't say necessarily one strategy is better than the other, um, but it is a trade-off that I've made and that maybe they made to a certain degree as well.
0: Right. I wonder how much of your sports background informed that decision, right? Because you're coming from a situation where – you have people who aren't familiar with lacrosse, don't know there's basically two seasons, right? You have fall ball, then you have the spring season, and like you you can't just go right there. Ha- there are these kinds of not only is it mandated down Pierce and NCAA, which coaches do or sometimes do not abide by, but also like you just can't keep going and going if for no other reason. It's a very physical sport, you need to rest and recover in order to get back to that mode. It's kind of like you know, you know. To put it back into like, I'm not going to do too many football comparisons here, but like you'd rather be Curtis Martin than Priest Holmes. Like yeah. you wouldn't want to be this supernova for two years. You'd rather have the ten year the ten year thing going on. In order to do that, there's only one way to to make that happen.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and you have to have discipline. You have to do all the little things, and yeah, you you have to preserve that energy because. It really does, in order to compete at the highest level at the biggest races, it does require insane, intense focus and that incredibly acute level of deep, deep, explosive fatigue. Uh, And it's something that does have consequences. It's an incredibly special thing to be able to put yourself out there and push yourself to that limit and find out what you're made of. But critically, if you don't respect that effort and the recovery that's required afterwards in order to come back to homeostasis, you can really, if you keep revving the engine, keep pressing the button, you get yourself into a really tough position and uh, and get to a point where your body will just completely reject running altogether. And that's always something that I really wanted to avoid. And, um, yeah, anyway, so luckily I've been able to have a, a long, healthy career. I've definitely dealt with periods of sort of burnout and, and overtraining, but never to sort of a devastating degree.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I don't to go down too far. We've already spent a lot of time on this. and I think it's fascinating because your career is amazing and it really is something that um, so many people can aspire to in their own realm relative to like what they have going on. But I want to bring that up because it really is fascinating. And just to highlight this, this part of your career. With that said, I wanted to have you on because so many people are ex-college athletes who are thinking about what comes next. You picked something that was probably you know, against the grain then, you know, probably less so now, but maybe where you were was kind of like it really fit, you know, being in Aspen, being in the mountains already. If you think back to like where you were athletically and why that just the things that kind of led you to being positively predisposed to picking up trail and ultra running and doing it well. And then again, you've counseled a lot of people from a running perspective, people of all different backgrounds. What would you tell, you know, current or future ex-college athletes who are, who are looking for that next thing and just haven't quite found it. But, you know, thinking that this could be uh, a potential path.
1: Matt, I'm so glad you asked this question because it's something I do think about quite a bit. But so to the first part, what do I think helped me to be, a, you know, to make the transition from field sport to endurance sport seamlessly? I think there's a few things. Number one, I grew up with a lot of freedom uh, I grew up riding my bicycle everywhere I went and had a group of friends where we were like this roving bike gang, you know, especially in the spring and summer. I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, but even in the winter, I was riding my bike to school every day. I grew up at altitude, obviously, which I think is helpful just in terms of just building overall fitness and cardiovascular strength. But yeah, just being self sufficient moving under my own power all the time before I got my driver's license and afterwards, uh, I think is just one of those sneaky little things in my background, in my childhood that contributed to me then when I was a lacrosse player, being a guy who could cover ground on the lacrosse field too. And then ultimately when I moved away from lacrosse to being the guy who could run around in the mountains for a long time. It was just because I was used to riding around on my bicycle for hours a day, every day. And, you know, also, like I said, I grew up at altitude, grew up in sort of mountain Mecca uh, or you know, outdoor endurance sports Mecca, of Boulder, Colorado. So maybe that's in my DNA a little bit. Um, and I do think though, to the second part of your question, Matt, that there is an enormous reservoir of untapped talent in field sports, and athletes who have traditionally found their success there, they could easily translate to the world of trail and ultra running in particular for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think the athleticism that you gain as an athlete, so for example, in lacrosse, it wasn't like I was just running in straight lines up and down the field. Obviously, there's a lot of agility, there's a lot of north-south running, but also a lot of east-west running, a lot of cutting and jumping and twisting and dodging and spinning and just you develop a a lot of coordination and athleticism and agility and so when you translate that to the trail it's like the perfect little um evolution of that athleticism where when you're running down a, a technical single track and you have years and years of experience sort of tiptoeing past defenders and trying to, you know, use fancy footwork to get to the cage and score goals. It's like, it's like the perfect, you know, next step, or it's an easy evolution. Um, And so, and then also, yeah, just the competitiveness, I think, is another thing that really helped me to be a competitor as a runner too. It's like, I just know how to compete and I like competing. And I know how to show up at games, even if I'm not Feeling my best, or practice didn't go well that week, or I had lots of stress and homework going on in college. Yeah, you still show up at the game and you do your best. And it's the same with running. It's like, yeah, even if the training block isn't great, even if things aren't going completely perfectly, man, I still show up and I like to compete. And I think this is why I've always been a better racer than I am a trainer. In other words, if you look at my Strava, I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm not setting any Strava KOMs or whatever. But when it's time to compete, I can compete. You know, I'm a gamer. I'm a gamer. But uh, it's it's because of the fact that I've been doing this my whole freaking life. And so that part of things comes naturally to me. But I, I do, just to close out this question, one of the things I would really like to do just to put myself on the record and hold myself accountable In this next chapter of my career is potentially try and figure out a way to like have a scholarship or sponsorship type thing for a field sport athlete coming out of a collegiate lacrosse or soccer field hockey type program and help them give them the resources, give them the knowledge, give them maybe some coaching as to how they could translate those skills into trail running. That would bring me a ton of joy. I'd love to do that.
0: I love this. I love this so much. So I I coach college basketball for a long time. I worked on college campuses for 18 years prior to doing this full time. And I also coach now. I say this to my I say this to myself all the time. Like at the end of the spring, I just go to every team, and be like, hey, who are your seniors? Like, let me talk to them. Be like, you don't know what you want to do yet. If you want to pick up running, let me know. Um, because I feel the exact same way. Now let's just talk, just go back to the whole like. You know, looking at like lower body, the muscles and the connective tissue that are being used in some of these sports and how they translate specifically to trail running. Because so oftentimes a lot of these folks are doing a lot of running out on the roads to prepare for their seasons. Right. So they might have like a two or three mile test at the beginning of their preseason. So over the summer or the spring or the fall, they're preparing for that. They're running 25 to 30 miles a week. You know, probably pushing it way too hard, but they're like, all right, I get, got, got to get on a six minute pace for my three mile run test or whatever. So they're used to, you know, maybe doing that kind of running, maybe not used to doing the trail running. Why are some of these sports so effective at preparing someone to do something like that?
1: so you're asking from like a muscular skeletal perspective yeah and and not only that but also
0: just like the enjoyment of it because it feels like we because i love the fact because i was able to do some of this right out of college and for me it was like wow i might not be like the fittest i've ever been right now because i've enjoyed like six months post-college of like not really hitting the fitness level too hard but muscularly and athletically i'm like I can do this. This is fun. This is really enjoyable. And it doesn't feel like something that I've done before. And there is a component to it that felt like, wow, what I've done in the past has set me up to do this well, relative to even maybe my fitness level.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's exactly how I felt sort of as I was transitioning over. And I was actually asked recently, like if I had a period of mourning the end of my lacrosse career like, did I go through sort of like an existential identity crisis with the sunsetting of my collegiate lacrosse career? And at that point, I figured it was like my athletic career, right? And the answer to it was no, but it was because of the fact that I found running right away. Because like that was as soon as I started feeling like, oh, man, I'm getting out of shape. Like I am partying too much. I'm feeling pretty bad about myself. I'm putting on weight, whatever. It was just like, OK, well, let's just go for a jog, try and get fit again. And then immediately like fell in love with this sport. And again, just the skills and experience that I had as a as a field sport athlete. And yeah, definitely there's sort of muscular skeletal adaptations that come along with At that point, 20 years of being an athlete to the point where, yeah, your quads for you're used to sprinting up and down a field. So when you start running up hills at altitude, it's like you can do it. It's just it's not as intense of an introduction. It's not as rude of an awakening when you come to the sport and you come from that type of a background. And that's why I think definitely you could go to collegiate lacrosse teams, soccer teams, field hockey teams, even basketball teams, like you are saying, and identify, okay, who's the fit guy on this team? Or who's the hustle guy? Who's the hustle guy on this team?
0: Right. Who's the and, person that everyone hates guarding in practice? Exactly. And that's another way of saying like, because that's the person who's going to immediately be like, oh, I don't get tired.
1: Yeah. Or that's who's, fine. The guy, who's the effort guy? Who's the guy right. that you put on the best player who to play defense, right? Who's just like tries hard and has an engine. That person is going to be a good trail runner.
0: <laughs> right. It's so true. Okay. The other part of this is that a lot of people who are coming, coming to into running, especially from team sports, view this as an individual sport. Right. And for someone it's like for me, it's an individual sport because like I got family life. I'm trying to fit it in around certain things. And to make it a team endeavor or a social endeavor takes a lot of effort, almost as much as it takes. Sometimes making a social endeavor is as much effort as the run itself. It can be on occasion. However, post-college. A lot of people don't have those kinds of constraints and often live in areas that have a lot of community feel, whether it's an urban area or maybe it's still like in your college community, you found a place to live. So why? how can trail running not only fulfill that fitness, the competitive nature, taking on a new challenge, but also can fulfill the social part that so many college athletes really have to mourn because they just they can't get that part back?
1: I mean, this is so true. I mean, the guys that I played lacrosse with in college to this day are still my closest friends. In fact, uh, one of them is coming to stay with us for a couple of days here. Not, yeah, ne- next week actually, and I can't wait to see him. It's been a while since I've seen him, and we, you know, I, we actually just had our alumni lacrosse game this past weekend, along with a golf tournament, and I wasn't able to make it, but I would sort of sponsor it a little bit. You know, sponsor a couple holes on the golf tournament. And man, it's just a, it's so sad to miss out on things like that. But I'm so grateful for those friendships and those guys like I just love to this day. And they'd still be you know, the first first guys to, like, reach out to me when I have a good race. And also when they're having kids and get married and stuff, we're also always seeing each other, giving each other big hugs digitally and physically. And it's just always so fun to connect and it's through sport that we develop these amazing connections. And I think trail running is unique in that fact too, in that when you go through these races and you develop relationships around these events and the training necessary to complete them, they are incredibly strong, powerful, special relationships. And so a lot of the guys who I came up with in the sport and who I consider my toughest competitors are also really good friends. And I think that's a really unique, special thing in our sport is that we at the finish line look each other in the eye and whether it went good or bad, we know what it feels like. We know what the other person has been through. We know what it feels like to have great races, perfect races, and we know what it feels like to DNF and not even make it to the finish line. And because of the fact that it just requires so much and the sport almost is like a spiritual practice, like you really do, I think, come to understand a deeper level of what it means to be alive and what your purpose is on earth and what you're truly capable of. I mean, I probably sound really crazy and hyperbolic now, But it's true. I mean, I think there's just uh, a a deep respect and admiration that comes from that. And that's why relationships in trail running are very special, even though it's different than you go to practice every day with the same guys and then you go to compete against a different team and they sort of become sort of your enemy, quote unquote, then, you know, it's, it's different. It's different the relationships that you have in, in trail running that are born through these powerful experiences. But in a lot of ways, they are analogous to the relationships that I develop with my teammates growing up in, and coming up in team sport.
0: Oh, I can imagine. Absolutely. All right. So this has been so instructive and really, you know, shines a light on things that people can do post-college to really get into something that can be meaningful for them and maybe who knows where it will take them, right? I mean, when you started this, I'm sure you did not have like, first of all, podcasts didn't even exist unless you like wanted to like download Bill Simmons and then transfer it to a disc and then transfer it to an iPad or an iPod, I should say, <laughs> and then you, like, and it would take up all the storage, like one one like one podcast. But with all that said, it's certainly been a major part of a very interesting life that you have lived. With that said, part of that is the whole Pillars community. So. Not only are you this unbelievable athlete and you're doing such cool things from a broadcast perspective, you are now on the coaching and community side as well. So tell us about what's going on with Pillars, not merely the podcast, but the platform.
1: Well, first, Matt, I got to give you a big shout out because you and I had a phone call. You offered to give me a few bits of advice about my podcast that were actually very insightful and very helpful based on your experience. So Matt... Thank you so much. It really did. Uh, I'll
0: you I'll Venmo you the 20 bucks I promised you if you gave me that shout <laughs> out.
1: Yes, dude. No, man. Seriously, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, the, the podcast has been an enormous, um, sense of, uh, or it's provided me with an enormous sense of joy and, and purpose and has helped me to, I think, have a different and unique impact on the community and sport that I love. That being trail and ultra running. And has allowed me, as we talked about earlier, to just kind of use some skills that uh, have, I think, always laid dormant within me and that I've always kind of wanted to utilize. That just being storytelling, talking, commentating, and just sharing, evangelizing, to use your words, uh, evangelizing what I love so much about the sport and why I think more people should devote their lives to it. So the podcast has been going really well. It's growing like crazy. We're so excited. We have lots of big plans for it in the future. And um, again, I think it's just um, sort of something that, um, you know, I never really anticipated that I would get around to doing. But now that I'm doing it, it's like I couldn't imagine life without it. You probably feel the same way with yours. But um, in sort of conjunction with that, we also launched a training app. So this was the first training app specifically for trail and ultra runners. It's called pillars, much like our podcast, we sort of branded everything the same. We're, you know, sort of thinking about potentially changing the name of everything, but we, you and I can maybe talk about that more off the air too. But anyway, for now, that's what it's called. And, uh, what, uh, we're trying to do is really just speak to, all different levels of trail and ultra runners, wherever they are in their journey, uh, whether they're preparing for their first half marathon or they're getting ready for a hundred mile race, whether they have coaches or not. And so what we're trying to do is like develop a, a community of athletes who all love the sport and want to be better for it and make friends at the same time. And so we're sort of have a library of content, training plans, training, Uh, sort of how-to modules, nutrition, strength and movement exercises, breath work, meditation, lots of different things that trail and ultra runners need in order to excel at the sport and give it to them, you know, at a decent value, a value that we think that almost everybody could afford. And for those who can't, we do give, uh, memberships away for free as well, because it's something I really believe in. I want to make this as, as accessible as possible to people. And sort of what we're trying to do also is thread the needle between true one-on-one coaching and sort of generic training plans. So where you're one-on-one coach like you, Matt, like it's so great. It's such a valuable thing to have. I've had a coach for the bulk of my career, Jason Koop, who has done more for me than basically anybody else. Um, and then, you know, on the other side of the equation, you have people who will just kind of sell you a training plan and say, you know, good luck, hope it goes well kind of thing. We're trying to find the happy medium there. So for people who want information, who want a little support and want a little help on their journey, um, but don't necessarily feel like they need a full-time coach or, Um, you know, people who don't want to be totally self-directed at the same time sort of have a place where we can learn from each other, be collaborative. Like I said, I think people who have coaches still would get value from coming in, being part of the community.
0: I have a coach and I find tremendous value in it.
1: Great. Well, thank you for saying that. And yes, you know, the other thing that you mentioned that we really are um, serious about is we want to develop community. I think that's one of the things that's great about our sport. And so within our app, obviously, as you know, Matt, there's very forward uh, community functionality where we all interact, where we share our wins and losses and training and in racing, where we root for each other, get to know each other, um, share things that we found inspirational, things like that. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a, a little community um, and we use sort of our, our content, our podcast, and YouTube to sort of, um, I don't know, kind of create the funnel towards the app and, you know, sort of have all three of those things. So the podcast, the YouTube and the app sort of work in synchronicity, all sort of like with their own place in our overall business. And it's been a lot of fun to work on. And, uh, I've been lucky to meet people like you who've been helpful and, uh, in a lot of different ways. And, um, we're really optimistic about the future. So optimistic. In fact, that, uh, coming up at the end of this month, I'll be wrapping up a nine year tour of duty with my full-time job and, uh, going to be tackling what we're trying to build here full-time as well. And, uh, so yeah, very excited about the future. There's, there's some days that are great. Some days where I'm, uh despondent and don't know what the heck i'm doing but most days are are phenomenal and i really have, really have enjoyed it
0: i can relate to both sides of those that is for sure you're doing great stuff it absolutely the podcast the youtube channel the app pillars P-Y-L-A-R-S, P-Y-L-A-R-S. I recommend everyone check it out um you know with the app you just go check it out in the app store and then also the best part about it is you can just, like, see, all right, does this work? This is good for me, whatever. You guys have the trial period as well. Um, and it is super affordable, so it's also a really good deal. You guys are doing such good stuff, and I think it's a wonderful blueprint for others who are trying to make a life within the sport that they love, whether it's running or some other sport. I think it does provide uh, a, a blueprint for a lot of people, not just you know high-level elite athletes like yourself, but certainly for those folks as well. Dylan, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an absolute honor.
1: Matt, you're the man. Thank you so much, dude. Really appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, thanks again for all your help offline too.
0: Dylan, thank you so much for coming on the show. What an awesome guy. I mean, how can you not get into trail motor running at least a little bit? After not hearing Dylan, go check out Pillars as well. Not only the podcast, the YouTube channel, but also the app. Again, that's P-Y-L-L-A-R-S. You know, anything that Dylan's associated with is going to be the real deal. And I'm I'm on the app. I think it's great. The, the, The community that they bring to it is special. Also, we didn't really talk about this. Dylan does live, they call them office hours. He goes live with the community every single week just to like talk answer questions, right? Like, how often do you see one of the best athletes in their sport do something like that? It really is um, unique and fascinating and really interesting and so worth it. So thank you so much for listening. Remember, don't forget to hop over to my YouTube channel. So we're doing YouTube shoe reviews. And I love it. I love shoes. I love talking about shoes. I love reviewing shoes. And now we're doing it. I'm so excited about this. Go check that out today. Thank you so much for listening and happy running this has been a production of rambling runner podcast this podcast is produced by david margetti of in post media thank you to meta p for the music his song righteous path featuring rex mayhem and chip foo is produced by symphonic bang yeah Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing I'm amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.